The following article contains the description of a diagram. It may be viewed at lesswrong.com. Feel the meaning. When I hear someone say, Oh, look, a butterfly, the spoken phonemes butterfly enter my ear and vibrate on my eardrum, being transmitted to the cochlea, tickling auditory nerves that transmit activation spikes to the auditory cortex where phoneme processing begins, along with recognition of words and reconstruction of syntax, a by no means serial process, and all manner of other complications. But at the end of the day, or rather at the end of the second, I am primed to look where my friend is pointing and see a visual pattern that I will recognize as a butterfly, and I would be quite surprised to see a wolf instead. My friend looks at a butterfly. His throat vibrates and lips move, the pressure waves travel invisibly through the air, my ear hears and my nerves transduce and my brain reconstructs, and lo and behold, I know what my friend is looking at. Isn't that marvelous? If we didn't know about the pressure waves in the air, it would be a tremendous discovery in all the newspapers. Humans are telepathic. Human brains can transfer thoughts to each other. Well, we are telepathic, in fact, but magic isn't exciting when it's merely real and all your friends can do it too. Think telepathy is simple? Try building a computer that will be telepathic with you. Telepathy, or language, or whatever you want to call our partial thought transferability, is more complicated than it looks. But it would be quite inconvenient to go around thinking, now I shall partially transduce some features of my thoughts into a linear sequence of phonemes which will invoke similar thoughts in my conversational partner. So the brain hides the complexity, or rather never represents it in the first place, which leads people to think some peculiar thoughts about words. As I remarked earlier, when a large yellow striped object leaps at me, I think, yikes, a tiger, not, hmm, Objects with the properties of largeness, yellowness, and stripedness have previously often possessed the properties hungry and dangerous, and therefore, although it is not logically necessary, <laughs> similarly, when someone shouts, yikes, a tiger, natural selection would not favor an organism that thought, hmm, I have just heard the syllables tie and grr which my fellow tribe members associate with their internal analogs of my own tiger concept, and which they are more likely to utter if they see an object that categorizes, ah! Help! It's got my arm! Considering this as a design constraint on the human cognitive architecture, you wouldn't want any extra steps between when your auditory cortex recognizes the syllables tiger and when the tiger concept gets activated. Going back to the parable of Blegs and Rubes and the centralized network that categorizes quickly and cheaply, you might visualize a direct connection running from the unit that recognizes the syllable Bleg to the unit at the center of the Bleg network. The central unit, the Bleg concept, gets activated almost as soon as you hear Susan the Senior Sorter say, Bleg. Description of Network 3. The word bleg in quotation marks. We have our five points around a center point. The center being category, positive bleg, negative rube. At the top, color, positive blue, negative red. To the right, 
luminance, positive glow, negative dark. Bottom right, interior, positive vanadium, negative palladium. Bottom left, texture, positive furred, negative smooth. And to the left, shape, positive egg, negative cube. Again, that is our Network 3 diagram. Or, for purposes of talking, which also shouldn't take eons as soon as you see a blue egg-shaped thing, and the central bleg unit fires, you holler, bleg, to Susan. And what that algorithm feels like from inside is that the label and the concept are very nearly identified. The meaning feels like an intrinsic property of the word itself. The cognoscenti will recognize this as yet another case of E.T. James's mind projection fallacy. It feels like a word has a meaning, as a property of the word itself, just like how redness is a property of a red apple, or mysteriousness is a property of a mysterious phenomenon. Indeed, on most occasions, the brain will not distinguish at all between the word and the meaning, only bothering to separate the two while learning a new language, perhaps. And even then, you'll see Susan pointing to a blue egg-shaped thing and saying, bleg, and you'll think, I wonder what bleg means, and not, I wonder what mental category Susan associates to the auditory label bleg. Consider in this light the part of the standard dispute of definitions, where the two parties argue about what the word sound really means the same way they might argue whether a particular apple is really red or green. Albert, my computer's microphone can record a sound without anyone being around to hear it, stored as a file, and it's called a sound file. And what's stored in the file is the pattern of vibrations in air, not the pattern of neural firings in anyone's brain. Sound means a pattern of vibrations. Barry, oh yeah? Let's just see if the dictionary agrees with you. Albert feels intuitively that the word sound has a meaning, and that the meaning is acoustic vibrations, just as Albert feels that a tree falling in the forest makes a sound, rather than causing an event that matches the sound category. Barry, likewise, feels that sound.meaning double equals auditory experiences. Forest.sound double equals false. Rather than my brain dot find concept, sound double equals concept underline auditory experience, concept underline auditory experience dot match, forest, double equals false. Which is closer to what's really going on, but humans have not evolved to know this any more than humans instinctively know the brain is made of neurons. Albert and Barry's conflicting intuitions provide the fuel for continuing the argument in the phase of arguing over what the word sound means, which feels like arguing over a fact like any other fact, like arguing over whether the sky is blue or green. You may not even notice that anything has gone astray until you try to perform the rationalist ritual of stating a testable experiment whose result depends on the facts you're so heatedly disputing.